following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Thank you. Please turn to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1, that's page number 998, as Matt said just a moment ago. I don't know if you just picked up on it, but we're not in Mark. Okay? So... A little different today, uh, taking a break from Mark. Actually, uh, we are officially done with Mark chapter 1. I had done with uh, coming back this Sunday and doing one more kind of like a conclusion sermon to the book of uh, you know, Mark chapter 1. Uh, decided against it because we had other things we wanted to do. And as we look ahead for the rest of the year, what's left of it, our schedule's filled up pretty quickly. We've got uh, the next couple weeks. Actually, I'm not going to be preaching as soon as the service is done. Like, while you're singing, I'm going to walk out the door, and I'm going to get in our car because we're driving to Chicago for Thanksgiving, so we're leaving today. Uh, we're going to spend the night in Kentucky at Jamie's aunt and uncle's house, and then we'll finish the trip tomorrow morning. So uh, I know a lot of you are leaving as well, so we'll just all pray for each other, okay? Here we go. We'll take care of that. So I'm going to be out for the next couple weeks. I will be back on the second week, but I won't be speaking then on the 15th of December, we have our annual Christmas service, and we have very few traditions here at Cornerstone, but that's one of them, and I always really love that service. So that'll be the, the 15th. We'll just spend some time remembering the real purpose of the incarnation, and so plan on being here for that. And then Christmas is here, right? Can you believe it's almost Christmas? Yes. Yes, you can. Thank you. You know what happened yesterday? So we had this work day yesterday, right? And I'm on the way over here, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, it's going to be kind of noisy, crazy. We need music. We have all these people working. We need music, and we need music that makes people happy. What kind of music makes people happy? Christmas music. Thank you. Christmas music makes people happy. So I come in, and I instantly turn on Christmas music, and then Scrooge, a.k.a. Jordan, is making fun of me, and Seth, thank you, and a few other people, and Don, okay, do you all want to just raise your hands? See what I have to put up with around here? So I, I go outside and I'm working and I come back in later and they've turned off my Christmas music. Thank you. So guess what I did? I turned it back on. Right. So yeah, Christmas is coming up. So we're going to take those last two weeks of December and we'll just use those as our family time. So, you know, we kind of at the end of the year when everybody's gone and we're like down to a skeleton crew, we... We just take uh, uh, 45-minute family services there kind of at the end of the year, and so we'll do that on December 22nd, 29th, and then come 1st of January, we'll jump back into Mark, Mark chapter 2, and we'll go from there. So looking forward to that. Uh, also wanted to quickly alert, alert you before we read in uh, Titus today that I am doing one of our family talks. So if you've been here for one of these in the past, you know what this is, it's a chance from us to be a little bit more relaxed. It's not a, a normal sermon. I, I don't have as many notes, which is either a blessing or a curse, because it might be a 15-minute message, or it might be an hour. Who knows? It's just whatever I uh, get to as I'm talking here, so it's a lot more ad-lib for me, but a chance for us to be a little bit more relaxed and just talk together about things that I think are important for us to consider as a church family from time to time, and so we're going to do that today, and to do that, I brought us here to Titus chapter 1. And I'm going to do something, again, a little bit different. I'm going to read Titus chapters 1 and 2 to you. Now, that's way more than I would typically read, and I'm obviously not doing that to waste your time. Uh, I'm doing it because I think there's something important for us to see over the course of these two chapters. Neither are particularly long, but 
But I'm going to ask you as I read here to pay very, very careful attention to the text, okay? Whether you're looking at a Bible in your hand or you're going to be watching the screen behind me here, I want you to pay careful attention to the text as we're going to come back through these two chapters and draw out a number of points uh, that we'll discuss here in just a moment. So you're there, Titus chapter 1, look at verse 1 and we'll begin. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husband and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. Father, as we come to these words here given by Paul to Titus, we 
ask as we do every single week that you will help us to understand them the way that you want us to, that we will see here the truth that is eternal and divine, that is sufficient and powerful. Help us to see this in relation to all of the lies that we tend to believe about ourselves and about your church and about you and about your your plans in this world and how, how things are. We need your spirit to enliven us. We need you to, to, to give us life in our minds and our hearts and understand, understand these things. And so, God, meet with us today, we ask. Take my words, and, and I pray that you would guide them, direct them, so that in the end we, we have seen very clearly the, what the church is supposed to be, how it's supposed to function. We thank you for your word, which guides us and instructs us. And so we give ourselves to you today as well as this message in your name. Amen. So, um, I have mentioned to you in the past how when I originally came to Virginia Beach back in 2001, my very first job here was filling vending machines, okay? And I never quite explained to you how I got that job. It started actually uh, August prior to, it was August of 2000, so about six, seven months before Jamie and I got married. We had just gotten engaged, and as a newly engaged man, I desperately needed money, right? You, you need You need money so you can buy an apartment or get an apartment and have stuff to do, and so I instantly started looking for work, and I very quickly found a job selling electronics at Sears for the Christmas season, Season, but it was like 5 to 9, 6 to 10 at night, and it was all commission sales, so whatever I could do as a salesman, that's what I got, and if I didn't, I owed them money, was how it worked, and uh, was not quite sufficient to take care of Jamie and I. So I was also looking for another regular full-time job, and for some reason, coming straight out of Bible college with an evangelism major, I wasn't particularly marketable. Uh, to most companies or, or offices that were looking to hire somebody, and I had eventually searched out a little company that started in Goldsboro, like back in the 40s. It was called Sunburst Foods. And it started there as a um, basically a cafeteria provider for factories and warehouses back in the 40s. They would come in and bring all the food, hot meals for the workers, and and that's how it had begun, and over the 50, 60 years since then, it had sort of morphed, and they still made homemade meals fresh there in, the, in their little kitchen that they had. It wasn't particularly little. It was about the size of this room. Hundreds of meals a day, and we would sell these meals either in like 7-Elevens and convenience stores or where I got my job was selling them in vending machines. They actually have vending machines that sell entire plates of food. Uh, that you can put in the microwave and warm up. And so I got my start in vending. And so when Jamie and I were getting married and we were moving up here, I, I was no more marketable here than I was there. So I, I was desperately in need of a job so I could get an apartment. And somebody I knew knew somebody else who worked for a vending company. And so I called them and they interviewed me and said, well, you've got experience, which pause nobody has experience in vending so whenever someone calls who does they're like oh wow you're a loser and looking for another job that's great so uh so uh the guy calls me back and he's like well we don't have a, a position as a route driver open right now but would you be interested in fixing vending machines and i'm like does it come with a paycheck sure we'll do it and so my original job there was supposed to be fixing vending machines, it so happened that the day after Jamie and I got married, we got married on March 10th, so it's March 11th, we're in the airport in Phoenix, 
we're funny enough, we sat across from Don and Cindy McCain, just randomly, but we're, we're there in Phoenix, and we're walking down the, the hallway, and my phone rings, and it's my about-to-be new boss, and he calls me up, and he's like, hey, sorry to bother you, but uh, we just had a position open up here. It, it pays just slightly above poverty level. Would you like it? Because the other job was slightly below poverty level. So I said, sure. I was all excited. So here we were going into our honeymoon with a near-poverty-level job in vending, and, and that was my exciting beginning. I uh, fill vending machines all over Hampton Roads, literally, Virginia Beach, Chesapeake, Norfolk, Portsmouth, uh, Kempsville Rec, Norfolk Southern, EVMS, uh, Virginia Opera House, all kinds of offices, checkered flag, Toyota, Victory Nissan, or now Nissan of Chesapeake, I mean, you name it, I filled the vending machines there, okay, I've got a pretty extensive resume on that uh, part of, the, of my life. And uh, I found that the more I did it, the more interested I became in it, so much so that here I am now 11 years removed from that job, and Jordan and I have started playing racquetball, and we play on Tuesdays over at Kempsville Rec. I haven't been in Kempsville Rec in 11 years, and I'm walking in that first day, and I'm going through the doors, and it's like deja vu, and I felt like I should have some ho-hos or something with me. I'm like, what am I doing? I, I walk up the ramp almost like automatically. I'm going around, and as I'm coming up, first place my eyes are looking is to the vending machine bank where I had spent so many hours of my life in that year and a half. I stood there. Uh, filling those things, and I went there first. That was the first thing I did when I got there. I walked over to the vending machines, and I just looked at them. And I've been there for like, we've been going there for like eight weeks now maybe, and to this day when I walk in there, I still purposefully look at those vending, not just glancing at them, like I, I notice it, and it's not just there, it's everywhere I go. Because of my background in this weird uh, niche world, I tend to, if I see a new vending machine, I, I, I stop. And I check it out, and I'm looking inside, seeing how it works, and I'm, I'm interested in it, and so it, it kind of keeps it, it, at the front of my mind. Well, obviously, I'm not vending anymore. Now I'm, I'm teaching for a living. I've been doing this for six years now. And in a similar way, the, the, the role of teaching is now something that's always in my mind. I, I find when I drive down the road and I, I'm just looking at stuff around me, I I tend to like think, how would I explain that? How would I, how would I use that in, in a, a message or in a class to, to drive a point home? I'm, I'm constantly asking that question. I find it very hard to listen to other teachers now, not because I don't think they're good. It's, it's not a critical comment. It's, I tend to listen to them and think, would I have said that the same way? How would I have said that? Would I explain it like this, that? And I've got this like running dialogue in my mind the entire time I'm trying to listen to someone else. It's, drives me crazy, quite honestly. Um, all of that to say that it's that interest in teaching that has brought me here to the book of Titus this morning with you. I, I don't know if you noticed or not, but as we are reading through these first two chapters, the topic or the issue of teaching came up over and over and over again throughout those first two chapters. And I want to just take a moment and make sure you understand the book of Titus in general. Paul, of course, is writing this letter. He's writing it to Titus, who was one of his co-workers. And Titus has been left in, on the island of Crete by Paul while Paul is going off to do other things. He's been left there in Crete, apparently, to set things in order there in the church on, on the island of Crete. And why Paul is writing this to him, if it's because there was an issue, maybe Titus had questions, or maybe Paul just knows that there uh, are things Titus doesn't understand that he needs to understand, Paul endeavors to write a fairly short letter, only three chapters here, to Titus, explaining to him how to 
lead this church and how to set it up for the future and also explaining how the church is supposed to function. That's why we call this book, this letter, one of the pastoral epistles. It's one of the letters that is written to pastors or about how they are to function, how the church is supposed to function as well. And, and when you understand the book of Titus as such, you begin to realize why it's not so surprising that there's quite a bit about the, the issue of teaching here in this book. Because clearly, as the church, teaching plays a primary role in our life together, does it not? I mean, can you think of any other group, any other association that purposely comes together, like what you are doing right now, and listens to one guy talk for 30 to 45 minutes? We're weird, right? It's just, that's just it. We're weird. Teaching for us is one of the main components of, of who we are and of what the church is supposed to be doing and so I want us to think about that this morning, to think about the, how it's done and to think about why it's done and just ask some of these questions. And so all I'm going to do, it's not very organized per se in, in terms of my notes, but I just want to walk you through some of these passages here in Titus and ask you to consider them with me, what their significance is. And we'll ask some questions as we go through it, because I want you to understand teaching in the church in a biblical way. And we're going to start by breaking the concept of teaching into two very broad categories, informal and formal. We're going to start with the informal role of teaching within the church, and it really only shows up in one place, I think, here in Titus, and it's in chapter 2 in a passage that many of you know very well because you've probably heard it explained multiple times, but it's in Titus chapter 2, verses 2 through 6, where Paul writes this, that older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, Note that phrase, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Notice that as Paul has given these instructions here, He's not giving them so much to Titus. I mean, Titus is the one who has to, to urge these things to these people, but these are commands that are given to the church body, right? To, to the church family that all of us are supposed to be doing. They're character traits, qualities that are supposed to be built into the very life of the believer within the, the, the nature of the church. And I find it interesting that he says specifically here to the, to the older women, that one of their roles as an older woman in the church is to be a teacher. That doesn't mean that they're to hold a class, but they are to be teaching. Specifically, they're supposed to be teaching the younger women what it means to live a godly life under the reign and rule of Jesus in this thing we call the church. And unless, for some reason, only the women need this kind of teaching, I assume that, that Paul is not intending to draw them out by themselves, but is probably assuming that the men will do the same. That the older men will also be teaching the younger men what it means to live their lives under the rule and reign of Jesus within the, the context of the church. If you think, and, and I didn't pull these passages out to show you, but if you think through the rest of the New Testament, you'll realize that, that the epistles that regularly talk about this idea of us teaching one another. That that should always be going on. It's just a normal part of what it means to be the church. 
that I'm going to be teaching you, not in, a, in, a, in this kind of way where I'm, it's a monologue, but just in life. That I'm going to be teaching you what it means to follow Jesus, that you in turn are going to then be teaching me as well how to live my life for Jesus. That this idea of, of this interpersonal teaching, informal teaching, it should just always be going on. And, and, and here specifically, the command is given to the older women. I would argue that it's also assumed for the older men. And I can hear some of you thinking, I can't do that. Can I say to you, yes, you can. <laughs> yes, you can. Just like I don't feel qualified to teach all of you many times, but guess what? It's not about me. It's about the word. It's about the text. It's about the scriptures. It's about allowing God's truth to go out. And if you have access to God's word, then you can do this. Okay, Older women, you can teach younger women. Older men, you can teach younger men. Younger men, you too can teach the older men. Younger women, you can teach the older women. We, we're a family together. And this kind of, of interpersonal, informal teaching should, should always be going on. That should just be a part of the life of the church. Okay? Just every single day, not organized, not planned. It's just, it's just who we are. Now, that's really all Paul says about this kind of teaching here in Titus. Everything else he says, and it's not because it's, it's less important, it's just not the focus of what he's saying to this young man whose responsibility it is to guide the church and lead the church here on this island. That, the, the bulk of his commands and talking about teaching here are related to something a little more formal than that, I think. And so I think you also, in, in addition to this informal teaching, you clearly have commands here for formal teaching. And I'm going to show you just a, just a few of them, okay, just to highlight the, the idea that I'm seeing here. In, in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, after he's given qualifications for what it takes to be an elder within the church, he says that this man who wants to be an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. So that he can give instruction and sound doctrine and is also able to rebuke those who contradict it. I mean, just, just break that up for a moment. In order to be a leader within the church, you have to be firmly committed to something. And that something is not simply the church. You have to be firmly committed to the trustworthy word as taught. And I love, I love that he puts the words as taught here. You know why I love that? Because there's nothing innovative about it. There's nothing to develop. If, if I am faithfully, if I'm being an elder and I'm being faithful to what the scriptures command, I have nothing new to say to you than what was said a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago. It's the faithful word as taught as you have received it. You then as a leader, as an elder, are commanded to pass that on and be committed to that. And your goal in doing this is laid out here. One, you're supposed to be giving instruction and sound doctrine to the people. And, and if you come from a background, Ed and I were just talking about this this morning completely unplanned. It's funny how God works these things out sometimes. We were talking about this this morning. If you come from a background that never stressed or valued the importance of doctrine, then I, I don't even know how to respond to, to that because Ed was saying, why? Why, why don't other churches see the value of doctrine, the value of truth, and communicate it and, and exemplify it like other churches do. And I, I don't know why they don't. 
I told Ed, it's like my belief, my assumption is because somewhere in the back of their hearts or minds, they must not be truly committed to the sufficiency and authority of God's word. It's all I can guess. I don't know that. I'm not trying to be accusatory, but I mean, if you really believe that God has spoken to us in these words, these are his words to man, then you must understand them to be above everything else. And I have nothing better to offer you than this. And if you really believe that in these words you will find everything you need for life and godliness, then what else can I give you? It's it's this, the sound doctrine that he says here that elders are supposed to be instructing the people in, training them in this sound doctrine, because doctrine matters, truth matters very, very much. And not only are we to be using that commitment to the word as taught to give instruction and sound doctrine, but he also says here, we're to use it to rebuke those who contradict. So it has an instructing element and it has a rebuking element. If, if someone is, is espousing heresy and lies, the job then is to come along and say, that is false. To call a spade a spade. To say that this isn't true because here's what is true and what you're, what you're peddling is clearly not that. And, and the reason this matters to Paul, you see it in the next verse, he says, because there are many, many who are insubordinate, many who are empty talkers, many who are deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. And as Julio said, ain't no party like a circumcision Use that one later. This is what you get when it's family talk day. You never know what's coming out. He says there's many people like that. He says, they must be silenced. I love it. He says, like, it's not just like they must be, you know, bad. Shame on you. He's like, shut them up. Seriously, shut them up. Silence them because they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This isn't a game, he says. Wrong teaching, wrong truth, these lies, this deception, it's destroying people. And as such, as such then, elders, leaders, you teach, you, you hold firm to that faithful word, that trustworthy word is taught, and you instruct and refute. Okay, so there's, there's one example of this here. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Basically the same thing. I love it because it's so direct, right, to Titus. But as for you, Titus, you teach what accords with sound doctrine. Never vary, never change, never move away from that. This is what you have. This is, this is all you have. Uh, chapter 2, verse 7, after he's given these commands to the, to the older, older men, older women, younger women, younger men, he says, Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And pause and realize that after, that's pretty broad, right? That's a, that's a broad. Be, in every respect, show yourself as a model for good works. And now he could have said, in relation to your family, in relation to your marriage, in relation to your, your, your financial dealings, in relation to your work, and he could have picked any category he wanted to then kind of bounce off of and, and, and focus on, but he picks the area of teaching. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. It's not just, Titus, listen, it's not just about your commitment to sound doctrine and your teaching of sound doctrine. I mean, that's huge, but 
But even in that, you need to make sure that you do it with integrity, with, with dignity, with, with, with sound speech, so that no opponent can look and say, see what's wrong with them? Listen, you see, I don't like that. Even our manner of teaching is regulated here. It's just, it's very convicting for me. Okay, Obviously, I'm interested in it. That's why I'm bringing it to you. But, but I'd ask one further question here. Why, why does all this talk about teaching matter so much? I mean, above and beyond the things I've said so far, why does it matter? Why is Paul writing about it? Well, I love, I love, I love the first word of verse 11 in chapter 2. For. Because. Here's your reason. Not, not just in relation to teaching, but everything he said up to this point, okay? Everything he said in, in chapter 1, 1 all the way to 2, 10. Here's the ultimate reason, but it definitely applies to teaching as part of that. He says, for the grace of God has appeared. He instantly wants to tie back the purpose of all of these things, the teaching specifically here I'm using. He wants to tie it back to the gospel. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what is the gospel itself doing to us? Teaching. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and it's training us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives here in, in this present age. Again, just to stop, you understand what he's saying? I'm telling you to, to focus on these things, Titus. I'm telling you personally to live this way, to, to encourage other people to do this, to live this way, because God's grace has appeared. Could have left us in those lies and in that deception, covered by sin, reveling in it, and on our way to hell. But he didn't. He sent his grace. It appeared. That that language tells you what his grace is referring to there. It's Jesus, right? What we're getting ready to celebrate here. the, The appearance of God in human form. The grace of God appeared and brought salvation for all people. And grace is not simply about taking away sin and giving us righteousness. Grace itself is a teaching tool. Because when you understand who God is and who you are and what you deserved and what you have gotten instead, it's going to teach you to say no to some things and to pursue other things. Grace itself, the gospel itself, is a teaching tool designed to to help us know how to live and to wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. He had a purpose in his, his sacrifice. He sacrificed himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who is zealous for good works. Okay, This is why teaching matters. Because Jesus came for this very purpose. To redeem us from that lawlessness, from that sin, and to change us. To make us something worthy of himself. And so we've been talking about these ideas a lot lately, and that's why I wanted to come and, and present them to you. Because we want to ask ourselves the question, how are we doing with those things? Right? 
I can think back a few years ago here at Cornerstone, probably four, five years ago. Uh, it wasn't six years ago. Six years ago was when I came here in 07 after Pastor Tim left. And at first, we just kind of just kept doing whatever, what had always been done. Just we, were, we didn't know any better. Okay, we were stupid. That's the honest truth. But we'll just pretend it was more noble than that. We'll say it was just, you know, having to keep ship steady for a little bit. But it wasn't. So after about a year of that, maybe a year and a half, uh, or maybe even two, we started asking ourselves a lot of questions like, how are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? Like all those kinds of, of questions along the way. And ever since we've made it a point, not perhaps as faithfully as we should, but we've tried, we're definitely imperfect, to constantly come back and ask those kinds of questions. How are we doing with this? How are we doing with that? Are we, are we pursuing this well? Are we emphasizing it the way the scriptures would, et cetera, et cetera? And, and we've been talking about this area of teaching and, and asking ourselves, how are we doing with this? And I want to just kind of apply some of these thoughts to you in some specific ways here to encourage you and, and help you think about them better. Let's, let's talk about this informal teaching component. How are we doing with that? You know, I'm, I'm pleased to say that we see more and more little pockets of this happening throughout Cornerstone. You know, Ed getting together with guys in his community group um, just to, to read the scriptures together, to pray, to encourage one another, to keep each other accountable in things. Women getting together just to study on their, not, no one organized it, no one planned it, it wasn't, we weren't pushing it, it just, it just is happening. And I hope, and we hope as we, as elders, as we, we come to you and we're, we're pushing community groups more and more next year, we want to see that happen more and more throughout Cornerstone. That you guys just take the initiative on your own to get together with other believers and, and just teach each other, just study together to to learn together, to pray together. We don't need to, to organize everything. We're going to push you to do that, but we would just want to see you, you seeking it and looking for it. And again, it's happening, and we're so encouraged by that, but, but this needs to become a, a more and more regular part for us here at Cornerstone going into 2014, the informal teaching side. On the formal teaching side, how are we doing? Well, the sermons stink, but apart from that... Uh, you know, we, we, we think about this service here, you know, what we do at our, our, our AM worship service, and we're like, okay, we're going to continue what we're doing. Sorry. We're going to continue what we're doing, right? We're, our, our desire here, our plan for this time is, is to never change, just to continue methodically working through larger portions of Scripture so that we can understand the full counsel of God. It takes us, we'll never finish, right? Never finish. And even if we finish, we would start over, right? Because this is what we've been called to do. And we want to continue doing it and pursuing it as best we can because we feel a strong uh, uh, responsibility placed on us by scriptures to make sure that the word is clear to you. One more area for training. How are we doing there? Well, we're going to be honest. We're not doing so well. You knew this was all heading not doing so well on that one. I think back to four years ago, talking about that a moment ago, and um, so we started asking questions about, you know, why do we do this stuff? How's it working? Like, and, and at that time, Cornerstone had a Sunday school hour. It wasn't called core training yet. It was just plain old boring Sunday school. Not cool. So Sunday school, and it was the morning worship service, and then we had an evening service. How many of you were actually here when Cornerstone had an evening service? There can't be many left. Wow, it was way more than I thought. All right, I take that back. Um, 
we started asking questions about that particular thing. We said, okay, is it biblically required? Praise God, no. Is it, is it, maybe does it have a biblical purpose? Even if it's not necessarily required, does it have a biblical purpose that we find it helpful to use this tool? And no, it did not have that either. The only reason we had it was because we had always had it. And then we said, well, number three, is it, is it effective? Is it working? Is it? And we looked at what was going on, and the answer was, no, not really. And so we killed it. Never would go back. Loved that thing. That service, the way it was run, I, there, it was just getting together because that's what you were supposed to do on Sunday nights according to how many of us had grown up. And, and everything about that concept was, wasn't working, and it especially didn't work for Cornerstone. And at that time, we asked the same series of questions for Sunday school. We said, okay, is it biblically required? The answer is no, it's not. Okay, well, is it serving a biblical purpose? We said, well, yes, we think it is, because the scriptures command us to teach you sound doctrine, teach you the difference between truth and error, to provide a format for for helping you grow in all of these specific areas that, quite frankly, a lot of times can't be covered on a Sunday morning, right? Because we're going to be in Mark until your children are in college. So, uh, you know, you just can't get to some of those things in a normal format on a Sunday. And so the, the core training hour allowed us to do that well or better, we felt, than we could otherwise, which pause, we thought about at that time, could we do it in community group? And <laughs> at the time, in our community group, I think we had like 600 children, five and under, in our group. It's actually only six, but it felt like 600 because, we, you know, we weren't in a very big house, and there's like five two-year-olds, and, and like one just threw up on the cat, and the other one's doing something else, and you're like, you're trying to t- teach about the particular subject, and nobody's paying attention. It, it was mayhem at its best. And we realized at that moment, community group was never going to be the, the avenue where we could really do that formal training, and so core training served that purpose. And so we made some changes to it. We, we, we tried to, to make it better, we felt, in terms of getting out the, the types of classes and information that we wanted to, to you to have. And so here we are now in 2000, end of 2013, and as we regularly do now, we're asking, well, you know, how's it going? How's it working? Well, does core training have a, a biblical mandate? Certainly not. That didn't change. Does it have a biblical purpose? Yes, it certainly does. We, we think it's still valuable in the sense of, of communicating truth, but, but how is it doing? Well, I, I brought some numbers, because I'm a numbers guy, right? And I like numbers. I thought this would be helpful to make a point. So what I did here was I went back. We've, we've had the core, tra- core training in its current format for two full years as of the end of this year now, okay? All of 2012, it'll be all of 2013. So I went back and said, where did we start in 2012, and where are we ending, Okay. So at the beginning of 2012, we were averaging 145 people a week in our morning worship service, and we were uh, averaging weekly giving of $4,019.02. And for core training at the beginning of 2012, we were averaging 85 people per week. Now you think, whoa, that's a big big drop. Well, understand, we never, no, no church who runs a system like that is ever going to see a perfect parity between the two, right? There's always going to be some difference, some drop. Uh, because in, on a Sunday morning you get visitors and all kinds of other things, so it's never going to be exactly the same, but we were okay with that. Well, we've had all of 2012 and almost all of 2013. Where are we now? Well, now uh, on our morning service, we average 191, so we've grown a significant amount there. 
our giving has gone up, gone up significantly as well, $5,619.27. I show you this, these numbers to you now for the final one. What do you think core training is at today? Don't guess. Ready? <laughs> and the funny thing is, is I know it's not the same 85 people. I'm pretty sure that some have left and some new ones have come in. And, and granted, you know, I'm looking at from an average from the beginning to an average at the end. And there have been some highs and there have been some lows along the way. I just had a curiosity asked Dave Jones, who's ushering this morning, what was our count in core training today? And he said 72. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, you're going to get that week to week. And that's why we try to go with, with broader numbers. We're looking and going, I don't think this is working quite right. Is there a better way to do this? Is there something, because there's value in this teaching. There's value in instructing this, but when we look at all the needs that it takes, the time, money, volunteers, et cetera, to run that program, when we think about our future, or, you know, I'm going to throw out those bad words again, like maybe two services at some point coming up here this coming year. I don't know if that's going to happen, but we're just going to keep saying it until eventually you're desensitized to it. Um, we, we, we look at all of these things coming up, we're going, maybe we should try something different. Because to us, this has value. It has the the value of fulfilling the responsibilities given to us by God to teach you sound doctrine. But if if what we're doing now isn't working, well, then let's do something different. And so we have an announcement to make. Effective January 1, we are no longer going to have a core training hour. Okay, All 85 of you who are sad about that can come see me afterwards and we'll talk with you. The other 100 and whatever of you, you're good. we're going to end the core training hour. We're going to have one service at 10 a.m. That's going to do a number of things for us on Sunday mornings. One, it's going to free up volunteers, workers, et cetera, schedule, to do what we do in this hour even better. Um, because right now, both hours are stretched a little thin. We want to we do this well because we do feel that this is biblically required, right, to meet together on the Lord's day to worship. Uh, Sunday school core training is, is not required. However... We still want to teach you. And so we're going to try something different, and don't laugh when I say what it is, okay? We're going to try for the next year a once-a-month Sunday night seminar. You say, wait a minute, we just said we got rid of the Sunday night services. This isn't going to be a Sunday night service. This is going to be a seminar. For, For two hours, we're going to get together one Sunday night a month, and we are going to hammer one subject. You're going to learn it. We're going to drive it home. We're going to have all the adults in here, and over the course of two sessions, maybe three, you're going to learn about some point of, of Christian living, some point of theology, something about one book of the Bible. It's not going to continue on to the next month, so if you miss it, all right, you come on back. We, you need to be there. But these are going to be purposefully chosen to help you grow in areas that we think we as a church, as believers in Jesus, need to grow in. Now, our kids are going to be doing stuff, too. Because we're going to run, I hope this is going to make sense to you, an Awana-like program for our children during that same time period. Where they too will be drilled with just one single idea. God is holy, for example. Everything about this session is God is holy. And so from the games we choose to the snacks they eat, we'll give Cheerios. Snacks they eat to, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was spur of the moment too. Uh, that's why I should never have not have notes in front of me. Um, I don't know where I was at crafts, they, anything, every lessons they learn, it will all be driving them to one point so that as a family, as you come in and leave, you have learned one specific detailed thing 
And if that's what you, all you get, that one thing, we're satisfied. So you, you and I, we all, we need to be growing, to be learning, to be applying our minds to the sound doctrine that has been given to us. And so we're going to try this. Now, here's what might happen. I'm just going to alert you. It may be a flop. We flopped before, haven't we? So it may be a flop. It may be that at the end of this year, we're like, well, that wasn't any better. Let's go back to what we were doing, okay? We're acknowledging that up front. Our goal is not to maintain systems. Our goal is to obey the scriptures. And whatever it takes for us to do to do that well, we're going to do it. That's our commitment, first and foremost. And so I say all this to you so that you can know the plan, know what our heart is in doing it. It's it's to teach you, and we're going to try a different system to see if it's helpful. It probably won't be perfect the first time around. Got it? We're gonna, it'll grow. We're going to build it. We'll learn. But we want you to be a part of it. And so will you commit yourself to this coming year as we get this thing put together to make your, you and your children a part of this, to come together once a month to learn these things so that you can grow, be trained in doctrine, be trained in how to respond to, to error so that we can... We can be more like Jesus. Hey, I'm done. I don't have a conclusion either. So I say to you, happy Thanksgiving. I get to drop the bomb, and then I'm running to Chicago. So if you have any questions, you can see Ed or Chris or Jordan. They're happy to answer them for you. But we wanted you to hear it from us instead of getting an announcement in the bulletin. Why don't you bow your heads in prayer, and we'll close out my time here. And Jordan will come up and lead us in a final song. Jesus, thank you for these clear commands. You have commanded us to teach, to train, to instruct. And so it's been our desire as elders to do that. We want to lead this church well, and we are foolish men. We don't, we don't get things right. We, we, we know that. And yet, we want people that you entrust to us to grow in godliness, to grow in Christ-likeness, to turn away from lawlessness. And part of that process is instruction and sound doctrine. And so we're going to try something different. And it's just a system. It's just a plan. There's nothing special about what we do one way or the other. But we ask that you'll bless it and use it to help people become more like Jesus. Thank you for this church, their commitment to, to teaching, their willingness to come and be taught on a weekly basis. God, it makes no sense. There's nothing special about us. And so we know it It comes back to who you are and what your word is. And we thank you for it. Help us, Lord, as we go out from here. Pray that as we go into this Thanksgiving season that We will remember all the many blessings that you have given us. Keep us all safe as we travel here and there. Bring us back together again.